You gonna keep your wings locked up? No. No. No, I am putting people under them. Chloe helped Courtney and I locate the remaining members of the JSA. The children and their protégés. I think the coming generation could stand to learn a thing or two from... from those of us that have done it before. Some of us already have. We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. We all feel better. In the dark. Are you taking the piss? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up! Oh, man. I'm gonna fucking kill you! He's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. But he's great. You know, he looks like a guy who wakes up every morning. He brings him down. There's a bucket full of chunks of car. Right. He pops right up. <laughs> and he's chewing it while he's walking to the bathroom. Bringing the noise. Since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two DJ and Ferguson here to teach you Death traps on a sure way to kill And Eva and Raquel not now, never will The boys gon' play, bring on all flicks If you ain't coming with it, they will say that it's ish Great, great man, you will get applause And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause Clive Barker, the musicals The man with the S to the Disney unusual Duck and cover when time's on the rant Or please sing along cause you know that they can't <laughs> So this one goes out to you and yours And all the great members of the message boards They call me B-hyphen and it's time to start Cause we all feel better, better in the dark Yeah, yeah Holmes, does your depravity know no bounds? No And until we get back in touch with you, go watch that movie. Right, Devin? Go watch that This is a Better in the Dark spoiler warning. The following program features discussions of major plot points, even the endings, of recent films. If you have not seen the films discussed and don't want to know anything, stop listening now. You have been formally warned, and from this point on, we have the right to complain, bellyache, bitch, moan, or otherwise whine about it. Thank you, and enjoy the show! I deduct, Mr. Ferguson. By the way that the audacity is going... And the fact that we have all these recent films up on our individual monitors, that this must be a review episode. Dash it all, Deja! How do you do it? I think it was on our schedule. Your powers of deductive reasoning are just astounding! Can we have have a little less Nigel Bruce and a little more Jude Law, please? All I can do is Nigel Bruce, I can't do Jude Law. Dash it all, Deja! The Nigel Bruce John Watson is right up there with Foggy Nelson as the most clueless people on the planet. Dash it all! How do you do it? I mean, that was one of the things I liked when Brian Michael Bendis took over as Daredevil, where he kind of had Foggy say, Matt, 
I figured it out a long time ago. And I, yeah, I'm not as dumb as you, you think. think one, I, of, one of the few things Bendis did right. I did like his Daredevil, which is our, our long-winded way of saying that this is our periodic review episode yes. where we review recent movies, and one of those is one that people have been asking us right. in private emails and on the message board and on the Better Than right. Dawn Facebook what do we think about Sherlock Holmes? Well, if you stick around, and I see no reason yes. why you shouldn't, what you downloaded it. Yeah, so you will find out, indeed, what both me and Tom thought of Sherlock Holmes, along with a couple of other films. As an added bonus, you will also find out what we thought about the recent episode of Smallville, the somewhat called Absolute Justice, which featured members of... Our beloved super team that is loved by both me and Tom and millions of comic book fans, the Justice Society of America. Hold on one minute while I give Tom his medication <laughs> because he's going to turn into Mr. Ranty McRant. Before we get to the reviewy goodness, it's time for a little listener mail. And I have this feeling we've been here before. Yes, we have. Fuck you, Audacity. Let me take one brief moment explaining this because you guys deserve a little behind the scenes. We are recording this on Friday the 12th of February. February the 8th was my birthday. In the episode we did previously, we had a nice little thing where Tom gave me a DVD as a present. I gave him a DVD as a present. Not that it was his birthday, but it was one that he was looking forward for. Anyway, we did this nice episode. We did all of these great movies. Mm-hmm. We did our obscure movie episode mm-hmm. where we reviewed all of these great movies. I did some black exploitation movies. Tom did an Australian mm-hmm. exploitation movie. It was a show we were clicking. We were popping. Yeah. We were cracking. What happens? Audacity screwed with us yet again and we lost the episode. And <laughs> let me just throw this out to our listeners. If you guys have a good free alternative to Audacity, please contact me care of Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark Earth-2.net because this is happening more and more often and I think it's time for a change. Yeah, and it's nobody's fault. There's really no point in me and Tom trying to do that episode again today because we do two or three episodes. And when mm-hmm. we start out, of course, our energy levels are up and we're yeah. popping, we're cracking. It, things are flying back and forth. But as the day goes on... Also, to be fair, I'm not feeling well today. Yeah, Tom, when he first came in today, he said, matter of fact, I gave him some vitamin C yeah. tablets because he said, listen, yeah, I'm drinking dirt. some juice. And yeah, he said, Dirt, listen, I'm not feeling up to snuff. So okay, well, we'll do a couple episodes and I'll drive you home. Right. It's no problem. So... If we do it again today, there's no way it's going to turn out as Just good as what we did. Just trust me, you missed something really cool. Yeah, but we're going to do it again. We're going to get together again next Friday, and we're going to do it because that was a good episode. It was a good episode. It was a lot it of fun. It's a damn shame you guys will never get yeah. to hear it. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be different, but it'll be just as fun. Yeah. So we're a little bit bummed out with that, but we're going to get right back into the groove. Okay. And we're going to do that by getting into the mail. Listener mail. Our first piece of listener mail, has it was last time, is from our good friend Gray from the Dark Hours podcast. And I just want to once again shout out to Gray. I've said this privately to you, man. We would love to have more of those audio emails, like the one you sent us that we played on episode 75. Yeah, because I you would... Rock. I was of the opinion that when Tom played that, I said, okay, well, let's pack it up and call it into the episode. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way we were going to be able to top that. Gray writes, hey, guys, just had to let you know how much I enjoyed your last two episodes. Unfortunately, I am not that familiar with the back catalog of Mr. Romero. In fact, your episode on him made me want to check out some of his movies, as well as possibly starting up a director series on him myself. I have seen The Crazies, and I am really, really excited for the remake. 
I enjoyed the first one immensely and can't wait to see what they do with it with a new spin because the original was a little flawed. We've always we said this a lot in the show. That, to me, is what I want to see in remakes. Find a movie that was, had a lot going for it, but for one reason or another, wasn't quite what we wanted. Exactly. If you're going to remake a movie, find one that failed and say, okay, well, why did it fail and how can I make it a success? Yeah. Don't they- remake The Karate Kid. Don't remake Nightmare on Elm Street. Don't give us the 19th remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Or a reboot of a series such as Superman. Mm-hmm. Nolan. Yeah. That was a nice little touch that we had <laughs> in that one where we discussed. Oh, you guys missed it. I had a whole little thing where I suggested who should really make But hopefully we'll movie. get to it next time. And we want to apologize to Michael Bailey because I'm sure that when Derek put that theory ahead, somewhere in Atlanta, Michael Bailey clutched his head and went, Ah! Anyway, getting back to Gray's email. A local video store here has Night Riders, and I might get that to review for the cast as well. As for your Kevin Smith episode, I can't say that I entirely agree with you on your ruling. I have never been the biggest fan of Smith. In fact, I think his movie making turned stale a while ago. Clerks is a classic, as well as Chasing Amy. But I haven't been able to enjoy his movies for quite a while. Jersey Girl was enjoyable, but Mallrats and Jay and Silent Bob were just rehashes to me. Whereas Quentin Tarantino seems to grow and try different genres with his stuff, he may not always succeed, paren, death proof, close paren, <laughs> but there is something for me to like in each attempt. I haven't watched a Kevin Smith movie in years. After your podcast, though, I think I will go pick up Clerks 2 to see what I missed. And I agree with you that the future does hold some promising things for Mr. Smith. That's it. I've rambled on long enough. I love your show, and I appreciate the support both of you have shown me in voicemails and emails. I remain a loyal fan of yours, Gray. And I want to once again tell people, if you want to hear a kick-ass horror podcast, go to thedarkhours.lipson.com. What do we say to Gray's stuff? I can understand what he had to say about Death Proof, because mm-hmm. as you and I have said before, Death Proof was really too polished yes. to be a grindhouse move. Not like the Robert Rodriguez Planet Terror, which we both agreed was the better of the two grindhouse right. movies, because it fit the tone, the look the style exactly of a Grindhouse movie of that era. I think Quentin Tarantino got a little bit too caught up in himself and the story, although, for me, the inclusion of Zoe Bell and that lap dance negated anything negative anybody's got to say. Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Rosario Dawson can pretty much be in any movie, as far as I'm concerned. You can put a little picture of Rosario Dawson on the corner of every film, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I'm concerned. Rosario Dawson, I'm there. So. And I like the fact that she's a hot-looking chick that's also a comic geek. She's hot, but she's also accessible. She's not like these super-uber, super-model types. Right. I like the fact that she looks like somebody who you would meet if you were going to the store. Rosario Dawson is somebody who I could conceivably walk down the street and see. Right. Whereas somebody like, let me take another Hispanic, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. I could not imagine walking down the street and seeing somebody like Jennifer Lopez. Maybe Rosario Dawson, Jennifer yes. Lopez was... Walking a pet lion. No. <laughs> walking a pet lion. And the other thing I want to say about Gray's email is that it does look like Kevin Smith is finally beginning to expand his boundaries because we got Cop Out coming out end of this month. Which I'm really looking to see. So Because the more I see it, the more it looks like it's mm. going to be a throwback to classic 70s mm. buddy cop movie. That's a genre that I would love to see revived. Don't you miss those buddy cop mm-hmm. movies? Keeping up the Kevin Smith theme 
of the emails. We okay. have something from our good friend Mike Fisher, who does the Streaking Weekly podcast and also is a contributing, I don't know, contributing correspondent to our good friend Ken McIntyre. A contributing contributor. Movie about girls <coughs> podcast. <laughs> what up, Tom and Derek? What up? I just started listening to your show, BITD, and I must say that it is a great show about movies and whatnot. No, well, thank you. It's the whatnot, I think, that makes us special. Yeah, of course. Mostly because you both know way more about movies than the average movie person ever would. And the fact that you are both accomplished writers helps when listening. Unlike my show, which usually sounds like a freight train and an airplane colliding at the same time while intoxicated. Nonetheless, I must say that I enjoyed your case of K. Smith, but I think he is a great director slash writer slash movie guy. But you made the point about possibly seeing him make a comic hero movie, Green Hornet or, or his own. I must say that his movies are the closest thing I've seen to watching a comic book has a movie. But I think that it only works with characters he makes up. I think his vision would be lost in old-time superheroes that we all have preconceived notions of what they should look like on screen, which is why so many fail. Lots of action is not his forte, however. If it is more like Dogma and not as zany as Jay and Silent Bob, it would rock. I would, however, agree with your verdict at the end of the show. If more people would listen to your show, could save lives. Rock on. Mike Fisher. Better in the Dark, the podcast that's saving lives. Daily. I don't know what to make of that last sentence, personally, because you don't know if he's joking around. I choose to take it as a joke, mm-hmm. because if it's not, then we may have a problem on our hands. Yes, we know. <laughs> but I think one of the things on Kevin Smith's plate right now is Ranger Danger, which is, I think, going to be his original comic book style character. Right. It's not like he hasn't been teasing this in previous films. Right, because as you mentioned in the episode that we lost in mm-hmm. Clerks 2. Randall walks around here in yeah. the Ranger Danger t-shirt. That is correct. Yeah. So, I think it's inevitable that we're going to get a Kevin Smith directed superhero movie, but whether it's going to be something original or an established character. Well, he took a stab at it with the Green Hornet, right. and he himself admitted it was something that he couldn't do, because he said the movie would be all about the Green Hornet and Cato sitting on the hood of the black Talking movie. about the girls they fucked the night it, before. Yeah, exactly. Of course, we don't want to see that in yeah. a Green Hornet movie. I think it's just a matter of him. Well, it would depend upon who's playing the Green Hornet and Cato. I, I think he just has to find a character yeah. he's comfortable with. Yeah. Kevin Smith is smart enough to realize Unlike Tim Burton, he's not an action director. Yeah. Although Dynamite has putting out a comic book, and they assure us that all the scripts are in house already. Kevin Smith turned his script for the Green Horde into a comic book. Oh, okay. and it's going to be coming out later this year. But didn't Kevin Smith himself stipulate in his contract that he have all of the yeah, issues in house so. before I think he's it was published? Because isn't there still like a Daredevil two parter that he never finished? Oh, the infamous Target, which we talked about in the case of Kevin Smith. Our next email is from our. Frequent contributor Steve Rogers. Okay. Hey, Tom and Derek. Quick thing about your rant about a comic geek speaks host opinion about actors and roles. I may have just heard it one time, but I thought it was more along the feelings that the guy who said it didn't want to feel that the actor was just doing it for the paycheck. Oh, sure, we all do things for the paycheck, of course, but I think it was coming from the feeling that the actor was treating a genre role as just another role and not really giving it the same all as he or she would give something that they are passionate about. You are very wrong about this, Steve, but we'll get to that after we're done. I think that's where the get back in that suit was coming from. Kind of a desire to feel that the actor feels just as much passion for the role as the fans do, as opposed to letting the actor do what he or she wants to do with their careers. Steve. Okay. okay. Wait a minute. Let me take this. You let take me it, take And then I'm going to take it. Let me go take it. And okay. then I'm going to throw it to the ground and jump on it. Okay. 
Now, Steve, and for the other combo fans, I'm going to say something right now that's going to sound very mean and very harsh. And if you don't like it, well, they know something. I'm sorry, but there it is. These people that act in these movies and write them and direct them, they do not care about these characters as much as you do. This is a job to them. People act in superhero movies, you know why? Because A, they get paid a lot of money to do it, and B, it's very high profile, which leads to other acting jobs where they do not have to work with a lot of special effects and they can actually act. I'm sorry. I just went through an argument on the Earth 2 message board about the recent guy that was supposed to play Fandral. He left the movie because of creative differences. He didn't like the direction for his character. There was some mention made on the board that he's just supporting, he's got no business telling the director how his character should be. Just do the role. Just do the role. Well, no, bullshit. He shouldn't just do the role because this is his career. This notion that comic book fans have that actors should just shut up, play the role, take the money, and not say anything is one I find absolutely deplorable. These people, wait a minute, hold on. These are their lives that you're trying to tell them how they should live. And just because you want a Thor movie or an Avengers movie, they should just go ahead and take what they're given and just do what they're told like fucking robots. No. I applaud anybody that stands up for themselves and says, well, no, I don't want to do this. I'm going to walk away from the project. Or has the self-realization to realize he's not right for a role. Exactly. And stepped out. Now, may I? Take it away. Okay. I'm going to first address Steve's specific comment. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to say something in general. The Peter Rio statement. Comic Geek was the first podcast I ever listened to. Okay. The specific circumstances surrounding that comment, which gets me so angry, it was about a discussion of X3, and it was specifically about a discussion of Alan Cummings. And it was Peter Rio saying, Alan Cummings should be thankful he was Nightcrawler, he should just get in the fucking suit and give me my movie. Now, we've discussed this, I think, way back when, in, I think it was episode 16, when we did the X-Men movies. Alan Cummings did Nightcrawler has a favor to Brian Singer. Yeah. When Brian Singer left the project, Alan Cummings' obligation to him Ended. was over. It was over, yeah. Because he did this specifically for one person, not for the fans. Exactly. And if Brian Singer had done X-Men yeah. 3, he would have come back as Nightcrawler. Yes, he but would have. Yeah. But he said, well, Brian's not doing it, so I'm not doing it. I stopped listening to Comic Geek speak about a year ago. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But Rios keeps coming back to this about whether it's Tobey Maguire or... This is the same idiot who has made a comment about the fact that he hates that Ryan Reynolds is playing both Deadpool and Green Lantern because if they ever did a crossover between the two, they couldn't have the actor in both roles. I know. You're like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? I'm, I'm frankly gobsmacked. Okay. <laughs> Why would there be a crossover between Green Lantern and Deadpool? Yeah. I have come to believe that whenever Peter Rios makes this freaking comment, it's not about Peter saying, I want Alan Cummings to be as passionate about Nightcrawler as I am. Well, he's no, not, he's it's not. about Peter Rios being freaking selfish and wanting what he wants and only what he wants and not taking into consideration that these people have lives outside of their comic book movie obligation. Exactly. No, I'm sorry. But these people do not make these movies because they love the fans or they love the characters. Why is Warner Brothers wanting to do another reboot yet of Superman with Christopher Nolan? Not because Christopher Nolan, they worship what he no. did with Dark Knight. They did it because Dark Knight brought in half a billion bucks. Right. And now Warner Brothers is 
has this in its head, and it really makes me worry for Green Lantern, and especially for The Flash, they've just reactivated again. Okay. That they've got it in their head that the only way for their superhero projects to be successful is to make it dark. And if there are two characters, I do not want to see a dark, conflicted, gritty, crime drama style film about. It's The Flash and Superman. Yeah, Superman is bright and cheery and right. sunny. And yeah, even yeah, more yeah. so, The Flash. The whole thing about The Flash is, isn't it cool to run real fast? To be faster than anybody else. Yeah. yeah. He's a guy who has fun with his power. And it's the same thing with Green Lantern to an extent. And I have this horrifying feeling that they're not going with the classic Green Lantern, mm-hmm. but with the Jeff Johns Green Lantern, the I'm such a fucking badass that I can do whatever I want. I can have a threesome with Huntress and Lady Blackhawk and then go and kick Sinestro's ass for seconds. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> you seen Lady Blackhawk lately? <laughs> we're going to get into my hatred of Jeff Johns and later then, on. No, we're going to get into it right now because since we're talking about comic books, we well, might I want to talk specifically about Comic Geek Speak for a moment. We have one more email and then we'll get, oh, into, absolute and then we'll justice. get into absolute justice. My anyway, biggest problem with Comic Geek Speak as a whole is that somewhere along the line, these six young adults, ranging in age from 20 to 40, stopped making their podcast about comics. Mm -hmm. And they started thinking that they were the show. And because they have this cult of personality built up around them, with all these people feeding into them, oh, you're the greatest, you're the greatest, you're the greatest podcast ever, they feel they can make these idiotic pronouncements like, get into the fucking suit, Alan Cummings, and give me my movie. And Ryan Reynolds should not be both Green Lantern and Deadpool. And all this other bullshit that they come up with. I know for a fact that they delete voicemails and emails that are not complimentary to them. That gives an alternate view to what they think is the party line. Well, see, this is why studios don't let comic book fans come anywhere near comic book properties. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, comic geeks, of course, they are entitled to their opinion, and we're not trying to pick a fight. We're just offering an alternative view of the situation. And my view of the situation is that comic book fans really need to recognize that these people are nowhere near as passionate. And I don't care how many interviews they go on, they tell you, oh yes, I've loved this character ever since I was a kid. Nine times out of ten, they probably never never heard of the character until the script is put in front of them. I have more respect for somebody like Thomas Jane who will be honest and say, I wasn't a Punisher fan, I didn't know this character, exactly. but I went and I read the character and I became a fan. Exactly. I respect that attitude. I respect the attitude of somebody who will be honest, I'm not a comic book person, but I like this character. Why do you guys think Halle Berry made a Catwoman movie? Do you think that she did it because she no, loved she the character? Her franchise. She wanted her own franchise. She did not want to be part of an ensemble in X-Men. Right. She didn't do it because she loved Batman. Because, of course, her Catwoman had no relation at all to the right. Catwoman that we know. You know why? Because Halle Berry wanted her own superhero franchise. Mm-hmm. And for people who not supporting actors in movies, who was one of the biggest supporting actors of a few years ago before he became Iron Man was Robert Downey yeah. Jr. He was nothing but supporting actor. That was most of his roles. But you know what? If Robert Downey Jr. decided tomorrow he didn't want to be Tony Stark again after two, I wouldn't start screaming at him. Neither would I. I would be sad because he is perfect, 
in the role, but I'm not going to start screaming and crying and tell him he has an obligation to entertain me every two years and get in the fucking suit. Exactly. Especially now, with Sherlock Holmes being such a yeah. massive hit, the man's got two franchises. Which is something friend- very rare very for rare. actors to have. I mean, I don't think... Two people I can think of. Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone and Harrison Ford. Exactly. Had two franchises going on at the same time. So, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is in a unique position now where if he doesn't want to do Iron Man anymore, he says, well, what's easier for me to do? Another two or three Sherlock Holmes or another two right. or three Iron Man? Sherlock Holmes, I'll do that. Now, ask me if I have an objection to if Robert Downey Jr. decided to not play Tony Stark and Columbia decides to do a freaking reboot that brings him back to the teen years. Oh, you know, no. Then I would have a problem. Uh, yeah. Which is what you absolutely know they would do. Oh, yeah, of course. Because we, we see it already because if Robert Downey Jr. decides not to do Iron Man, which I don't think he's going to do. I think he's grateful. He loves I, the character. I predict, and I'm going on record right now, saying, okay, Dark Knight is like the highest gross yeah. superhero movie. I think Iron Man is going to beat that record. I hope so. I think it's going to beat that record. I hope so. I vastly preferred the original Iron Man to Dark Knight. You've seen that trailer, and yeah. I've seen that trailer with him and Rhodey back-to-back. Oh, when God, I saw the, yes. the theater I was in, it went nuts when that happened. So I predict that Iron Man 2. But let's say he decides that he doesn't want to do Iron Man 3. The next day, they're going to announce, we're going to reboot the series. This brings up something else. This is going to be a harsh truth for comic book fans to hear. But the fact is... Most comic book movies are not made for us. They're not. Which is why we have a Spider-Man reboot where they're going after the Twilight crowd. Right. You have to keep that into effect. We fooled ourselves into thinking that because, of course, geek culture has become the dominant culture right now. Mm -hmm. But this gravy train is going to end. The only reason that studios are making superhero movies is because they make money. They do not make it because Wolverine's such a cool character. I have to make a movie. Yeah. No, they do it because X-Men movies made money and they see how popular the character is. And, of course, Hugh Jackman's stock went up yeah. so quickly. They say, let's give the guy another movie so we don't lose him to somebody else. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that comic book fans want, have no conception of. Right. And, frankly, they're not interested in it. They don't take the time to educate themselves about it, which is why when they start to whine and crying, I get up and I leave the room and I right. go to the bar. <laughs> so anyway, I have a feeling that we've just opened up a big old can of worms. But listen, we'll face listen, head on like we always do. Listen, we're here to give our opinions. Yeah. And I'm not going to shirk away from giving my opinion about anything mm-hmm. because that's what we're offering here. Well, this our, is something that this really is what we bothers me. Well, it bothers me too. Comic book fans don't give being a comic book fan a good name. Yeah. Especially not when it comes to these superhero movies and their attitude toward the people that are in it, the writers. These are people that are giving up time out of their lives. Yes, they're being well paid to do it, but they're giving up time when they could be working on other projects that are just as lucrative with a lot less headache and aggravation. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to get back to... Because I got a comic book fan story to tell you when we get to Absolute Justice in a few moments. But we got one more email, and it's a very happy one from our good friend. I think this is the first time he's written in. Mr. Jesse Garrett. Okay. And he says, hey guys, my name is Jesse Garrett. Hello, Jesse. Hello. And I've been enjoying the show for quite a while now since finding it through Michael Bailey pimping it. On his show, Views from the Long Box. Check us in the mail, Mike. I've resisted the urge to email in up to this point, but your George Romero episode broke me down. I love the off-topic ramblings at the end, and the Jason Stratham impression had me literally spitting my drink out 
while laughing out loud at work. Oi! Which drew quite a few looks from my co-workers. Oi, are you taking the piss? I have to say, your show is refreshing in its format. It truly is just two guys talking about movies. I also appreciate the recommendations. I just watched Burt Offering and The Little Girl Who Lived Down the Lane. Both were enjoyable films that I probably would never have seen without BIDD. Oh, wow. It is always a pleasure to find such gems. I have a request. What's that? A few of my friends have beef with the great man, Dennis Quaid. I don't know why, but somewhere down the line, they got it in their heads that Mr. Quaid is a lousy actor. I quite enjoy his work and have tried my best to defend the man, but always get shot down. Do you guys have any recommendations that exemplify his skills as oh, an actor? boy, do we. Oh, yeah. In fact, if you go to our central site, bitdsite.com, go to the episode archive, go down to episode 30, which is called Why Dennis Quaid Takes the Cake. That's right. Download that and listen to it, because you'll hear me and Derek go on for about an hour talking about six great Dennis Quaid performances, mm-hmm. and also referencing other films as well. I can understand why Jesse's friends have had this impression, though, and we're going to get to that when we get to talk about Legion a little bit later, because I think that now people are looking at these performances where Quaid is being chosen more because he's a type rather yeah. than he's an actor. But Dennis Quaid, and as I believe I said in the episode, and if I didn't say it then, well, I'll say it now, my... Contention has mm-hmm. been for a while is that Harrison Ford. I don't understand why people think that he's the only one that can play Indiana Jones. Other actors can play Indiana Jones. I mean, they thought that way mm-hmm. one time about James Bond, but only Sean Connery can yeah. do it. And what, six actors later, we still have a James Bond series. Retire Harrison Ford and get somebody else to do it. And right. one person I think could do it is Dennis Quaid. Right. Because if you notice, the older he's gotten, the more he resembles Harrison yes. Ford and even sounds like him. Dennis Quaid is, to me, he's a phenomenal actor. Him, Jeff Bridges, Kurt Russell, these are three guys that are like the most underrated actors in America. Year in, year out, they're giving us dependable, steady, solid movies. So, we're now down to the meat of the episode. Okay. Now, how do we want to, because we have, I have two films I saw by myself, you have two films you saw by yourself. Mm-hmm. We both saw Sherlock Holmes, and we both saw Absolute Justice. Okay. How do we want to handle this? Well, we just did the comic book thing. We'll go into it real quick, and let's, uh, let's just give our opinion real quick of Absolute Justice, because I'm sure the people out there... And I've got, since it seems to be the theme of this episode is bashing the comic fans, i got a comic book fan story, because I really hate this episode. Later on. I'm going to make this very clear. This episode pissed me off. And I think this episode is very indicative of where Smallville is gone, Mm -hmm. which is that they are so bereft of ideas that they do this little treading the water thing, and every couple of episodes they have somebody like Jeff fucking Johns or somebody else do an episode where they trot out some icon from the comics or some icon from Saturday morning television. Here's Zan and Jada. Here's Zatanna. Right. Here's the Legion of Superheroes. Right. Out. And all the fanboys get all, like, fat and happy and, Ooh, they did the Legion of Superheroes. Ooh, they did the Justice Society. Fat and happy. (laughs) And they forgive all the bullshit that this show has become. Well, they're very forgiving people. This show has become one big, fat, get-to-the-fucking-monkey show. Yeah. It's a big jerk-off. First of all, why is the show still... It's called Smallville. It should yeah. be Metropolis by now. Ooh. Change the name of the show to Metropolis. Be honest about it. Second of all, it's seven, eight years now. Yeah. And we still don't have the suit. Well, if it hadn't been for absolute justice, and you know me, I stopped I watching, be watching it. I yeah. stopped watching Smallville a I long watched time two ago. episodes this season. I stopped watching the show around season six. Five or six. Where I, I realized that I hated every one of these characters and wanted to see yeah. them die. I came back this season to watch two episodes. Roulette. Because I always liked the, the roulette character that Jeff Johns and David Goyer created mm-hmm. back in the 
JSA comic book. Of course, this roulette has no resemblance whatsoever to... To the one from the... To the one. Yeah, yeah. And I should have known there was a problem with the show when you had maybe five minutes of actual Clark Kent, and it was all about Chloe arranging this trial for Green Arrow to get him back on the straight and narrow. This show is the Chloe show. It's exactly, and there's another thing. Call it Metropolis. This way you, you can focus on various characters, yeah. especially Chloe, whose show is... Because it's, not, it's not about Clark Kent anymore. It's yeah. about Chloe. It's obvious to me that the producers and the script writers, a lot of people love Alice Mack. Really love Alice And Mack. she's a yeah. decent actor. I don't have the adoration that people like Michael Bailey have. Mm-hmm. Hey, Michael, we love you. But... I think they really fell in love with Alison Mack as an actor and just started giving her more and more stuff to do. And now she's taken over the show. Right. Do we want to go through a very brief plot synopsis of this before we go on to my... Well, yeah, they ripped off Watchmen. Yeah, it's basically (laughs) Watchmen with the star-spangled kid playing Rorschach. Yeah. Actually playing the comedian because he's the first one killed. Sandman being the original Night Owl. Hawkman being Rorschach. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Fate being Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, yeah. And it was uh, the old superheroes, the Justice Society of America. They had to go into hiding because the government wanted them to do something, and they didn't want to do it, and they threw them all in jail. We learn, ultimately, that this is a plot by Amanda Waller, who is played by by Pam Greer in a very bad fat suit. And it's a testament to Pam Greer as an actress. That she acted past that. Yeah, and it's obvious to me that she knew the character. She was Amanda Waller. Yeah, she was in her But that fat suit was just so distracting. They shouldn't have did that to my girl. It was awful, but the plot makes no sense. Let me see if I can explain this. And if you guys, if it makes sense to you, now, she makes reference to a coming, quote-unquote, apocalypse. God, that, that's coming. Please. So I'm praying. I just I'm, I'm, so wait I'm a getting minute. down on my knees right now. Wait a minute. I'm getting down on my knees right now, and I'm pre- oh shit. See, y- you didn't have to go that far. <laughs> I am praying to whatever being there is in the world that takes care of bad comic book movies and TV shows that they do not drag in the Jack Kirby fourth world character. See, see, this is what happens when you get too excited. I tell you, calm down. It's not that deep. He's got a cramp, folks. Yes. This is Amanda Waller's whole plot. Now, if this makes sense to you guys, then I wish you would write in, email me, and explain it to me. She makes reference of the coming apocalypse. So she says, well, I need help. Instead of going to the Justice Society and saying, listen, there is a coming apocalypse. I need your help. She says a psychotic supervillain to kill them. So that they will band together. Now, does that can I just say that Wesley McGinnis, with his fucking little faux hawk, mm-hmm. and his way of speaking like this, is terrible. And you actually expect me to believe that this little snotty punk was able to kill Dr. Fate. Yeah. The worst actor in this show, bar none, freaking, what's his name? Daniel Hawk Shanks. Man. Daniel yes. Shanks. Michael Shanks. Michael Shanks, yeah. I can call him Daniel Shane. I'm going to say this right now, and you guys can argue with me, but I'm sorry, Hawkman should never, ever have a gut. Even with the armor on. I yeah. said, doesn't he have a little bit of a pot belly? Yes, he does. And supposedly, Michael Shanks is a pretty good actor, from what I've been told. He is. I know you don't watch Stargate, or you don't like Stargate, but he's pretty good. Listen, you hated it a lot more than I did, but you take these things a lot more personally than I did. I watched it, I looked at it, for what it was... I like the props. They had one scene where Clark was looking at the Justice Society round table, mm-hmm. and they had the Flash's helmet mm-hmm. and Green Lantern's lantern. I liked that. I thought the props looked very authentic. I liked the look of Dr. Fate, except for the fact that the actor should have been taller. Yeah. I liked that little effect they had mm-hmm. where the eye slits were red. I liked that. I didn't like 
where apparently Green Arrow, who's got a lot more experience with this sort of thing, couldn't break into the police lockup yeah. to get Starman's staff. Uh, but Stargirl is walking, and she's walking down the street yeah. with this honking six foot long staff, and apparently nobody notices. But this is a major problem I have with the film. Jeff Johns has, as we've mentioned in the past, he breaks one of the cardinal rules of Better in the Dark, which is you can always love your characters, but you can't love your characters. Mm-hmm. And Courtney Whitmore, the Stargirl, right. is his first character that he cross that line from loving to loving. Okay. I think part of it is because he based it on his sister who died early. and yeah. But then again, when he first brought the character, was the first thing he mentioned so that if people hated it, it's because you're a bad person. Yeah. You hate my yeah. tribute to my sister. Yeah, because to me, that would be the only reason why you would stress yeah. that. Then if people say, well, I don't like that character. Oh, well, this is a tribute to my sister who passed away. And that's very disrespectful. It seems like you're already instilling a built-in safety yeah. valve so that people won't yeah. say that they don't like but the, the character. But the three characters in this JSA, in this series, were Stargirl, what I like to refer to as a Jeff Johns fetish character. Okay. Hawkman, another Jeff Johns fetish character, because he brought the character back. Okay. And under Michael Shanks, is just the asshole of the world. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Fate, who is there just to do more of that, get to the fucking monkey mumbling to Clark and Lois... You guys have a great destiny You have together. a great... Yeah, well, that's all he walked around doing, telling people you have a great destiny. And, of course, he's had the vision. Yeah. And we saw the cape, which is probably the closest we're yeah. ever going to get to seeing the Superman costume. And but it's it. just two hours of Jeff Johns giving us a hand job. Everything in that show was him making little in-jokes. And, oh, look, we're going to put Hawkman and Green Arrow together, and they're not going to get along. Because, of course, that's what they were like in the well, JLA. Well, yeah, yeah, because that goes back to that. They had the thing at the end of the thing where John Jones makes a reference yeah. he says oh, I'm, really cookies. Getting, I'm really getting this thing about cookies and, and of course well, you know, what that the, green and red the, shirt but Tom I don't understand if they don't make these references then what else are they supposed to do that's all they were but these are the characters that's all he brought to the table were his references were his jokes the, the reference of the cookie goes back to your beloved series with the Giffen D. Mateus JLA right. I know but the thing is it's like what the reboot bombed Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. In Casino Royale, they made a big deal about the origin of the Aston Martin. Okay. That's a decent reference, because they made it work in the context of the film. All right. As opposed to in Quantum of Boredom, I mean, in Solace, where you had Miss Fields drowned in oil, just because they wanted to make a reference to... Remember that film, Goldfinger? Remember that film way back on Goldfinger? That made no sense, because mm-hmm. it was just there as a reference. Right. The cookie thing. Right. The fact that he was wearing a green shirt with red straps. Okay. The painful and twisted way that Johns worked in a Suicide Squad reference. Okay. The thing from the Super Friends cartoon. Yeah. At the beginning, the Green Arrow makes a reference. Yeah. Well, where are the rest of the Super Friends? And right, where's the trouble alert? Yeah, he said, well, maybe we should have like a That's trouble alert. all he's doing throughout this entire show is drawing attention to, hey, you guys, you love this, don't you? It's one Fan wank after another. But that's who the episode was made for. For instance, my wife came in and she's watching yeah. the episode with me because she saw Pam Grier. She said, oh, this is why you watch a Pam Grier yeah. is in it. And I said, well, no, blah, blah, blah. And she's sitting there, she's asking, well, who's this and who's that? She's a person that didn't come. She's sitting there watching. Yeah, she yeah. had absolutely no idea who these people are. And that's all it was. It was episode, and I'm not disagreeing with you with that, 
Because it was made for the fans. If you were not a fan of Just Society, you would not know what, you know you how would, much of a fan I am of not, Just Society. You would not know what the hell was going yeah. on in that if you weren't a fan of Just Society. You know society. how much of a fan I am of Just Society. And I, mm-hmm. I was offended by this because mm-hmm. this is probably the only time we're ever going to get a live action representation of these characters. Probably. Yes, it is. To have such a piss poor ass backwards. It could have been done better. And, 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 and listen, starting I'm, with I'm, the choices. I'm not going to disagree with yeah. you with that. Yeah, it could have Instead of going for Jeff John's little sister and and, Hawk, okay, Hawkman deserves to be in there. Hawkman deserves to be in there. Dr. Fate deserves... But to me, if I had to choose the three core members of the JSA, it would be Hawkman, Flash, Flash and Green, Green, Green Lantern. Right. I will those give them are, the benefit of the doubt and say... Those they, are the three yeah, that should have been They couldn't have gone with Flash because they already had a Flash in the series. They've already got They already had a Flash. But they could have had a Green Lantern. Of course they could have. And if they really, really insisted and on having a female a character, cat. why not... Liberty Bell. Okay. Well, why not Black Canary? And before I hear people saying Stargirl had a prominent role in or even Justice Wonder, League Unlimited. Or even Wonder Woman. The original Wonder Woman. Okay. Her mother, who was established yes. that she operated as Wonder Woman during the World War II. Michael Bailey brought this up as like, well, Courtney Whitmore had a prominent role in Justice League Unlimited and mm-hmm. has a fan base. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Black Canary had an even more. Okay, there's another Black Canary running around, mm-hmm. that awful woman with the, the horrible eyeliner. Okay. This could have been so much more, and it was just... Oh, like, yeah. Oh, now, yeah. I want to address one thing. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with yeah. you with that. Yeah, it could have been a lot more. Stephen Niles. We are familiar with Niles. Okay. Very good writer. Somebody sent him a picture of the Dr. Fate. I miss a live-action Dr. Fate. And the fans are saying, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I said, and I said, Steve, you probably don't want to waste your time. This was just the worst bit of fanfic in television show I've ever seen. Oh my god, it was like I told everybody that I raped their mothers. I had one guy in particular was going like, oh, it's always seeing people like you who don't know how to write. And I'm like, before you insult somebody, check their CV first. Exactly. It's once again, what usually was the biggest defense of this thing, at least it got At least made. it got made. So in other words, doesn't matter if it's substandard. Okay. As long as we got it made. Fanboys. I said this before. Right now, you have one. Geek culture, comic books, video games, anime, they're the dominant pop culture. You no longer have to sit and accept any piece of shit that somebody decides to poop out of their ass. You have the right to say... This is no good. Matter of fact, you have the obligation, if you call yourself a fan, to say, this is no good. Because, let me tell you what happens. We don't want this. We want better. And we know you can do better. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you continue to become fat, happy babies. Every third or fourth episode, Smallville puts out one of these fan wanks. Eventually, we're no longer going to be at the top of the food chain, pop culture-wise. And then, we're going to be back in those dark ages of the 70s and 80s, where we got almost nothing, and we were looked upon as inbreds, and every time somebody made a reference to a comic book in popular culture, it was accompanied by, biff, bam, wow. You bitch about that time, but if you want to keep that time from coming again, you have to be discriminatory. Absolutely. And stop accepting everything, as Tom so accurately puts it, that's pooped out by anybody. What bothers
bothers me about Smallville being on for so long now is that this show has been bereft of ideas for about five years. You'll hear people say, why don't they give Green Arrow his own series? Well, they're not going to do that because they do that nobody will watch yeah, Smallville exactly. anymore. Honest, I mean, that's no, the other thing that, that shocked me about this show. No, nobody will watch Smallville. Two hours, and the character that this show is supposed to be about had about maybe 15 minutes of screen time? Yeah. It's that. And most of it was just him standing around and Hawkman told his story. Gave, or him, sitting around. Right, gave him these huge info yeah. dumps of exposition. Or sitting around while Dr. Fate goes, You have a great you have a great destiny. destiny. <laughs> well, fuck you, Jeff Johns. Which he said about four or five times yeah. easily. Every character he ran, Oh, you have a great destiny. Yeah, okay, I got it. <laughs> We better move on, because it's almost an hour, the raw feed, and we still have movies to talk about. Yeah, we still got movies to talk about, but we knew that people would be interested in what we thought about. Okay, so on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give? Negative 300. Negative 300, okay, well. And a half-hearty, fuck y'all, Jeff Johns. You're on my list. I ever see you, I'm kicking your ass. It's my fault. I got him started, folks. I give it a five. But see, you take this more personally than I do. It was, To me, it, it was barely acceptable. Considering that it's a television show, and it's mm-hmm. a CW show, and I don't like CW anyway, it was mm-hmm. better than CW standards. Let me put it that way. I give it a five. You know why I get so upset? Because this is the last time we're going to see these characters. The last time we're going to see the JSA. And I love the JSA. Well, do we have any idea how it did ratings-wise? I mean, oh, I'm sure it did enough to keep Smallville on. W is desperate to keep Smallville on anyway. I mean, and that's why I think these fan wank shows are there, to give the ratings to justify them. Because I know it came on last Friday, and yeah. I know the message boards are still talking about it. Various comic-based message boards are still having debates back and forth about it. Which is partly what four episodes like these are designed for. Mm-hmm. So... Yours is negative 300, and right. mine is a 5. So that's what we thought about. Absolute justice, folks. Now we go on to the movies. Yes. Because there's this big old purple vein standing out in the front of Tom's head, and I have to give him something else to be mad about. <laughs> so, Tom, you go first. It's, you still got so much energy. What's your first movie? We'll talk about Sherlock Holmes, since we both saw that. Okay, you want to talk about Sherlock Holmes? Yeah, we might. Yeah. Who wants to take the, the plot here? Okay, I'll jump okay. in and I'll take the plot. We're talking about Sherlock Holmes, which mm-hmm. of course stars a great, great man, Robert Downey Robert Jr. Downey as the great detective himself, Sherlock Holmes. Jude Law as his loyal, faithful partner. I refuse to call him a sidekick. Right. In this movie, he is definitely not a sidekick. He's a partner. Dr. John Watson. Rachel McAdams plays Irene Adler. Yes. Right? Yeah. From Jersey. And you know what I thought when I first saw it? I thought it was actually the police was chasing down Holmes for a minute. Because right. you see him running through the streets of London. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to Inspector Lestrade and Watson. They're in the back of a Black Mariah, which is what they call police carriages back in those mm-hmm. days. They're getting their weapons together. And Holmes breaks into this warehouse and he goes out to the basement. Where it's a satanic ritual, apparently, right. is being conducted by one Lord Blackwood. Who is getting ready to sacrifice, presumably, a virgin. Right. Of course, Holmes steps in and he rescues her. And in a nice little scene... we see him before he actually engages somebody in battle, and it's a scene that's repeated about two or three times in about the movie. twice, because there's this time and the time when he's doing the boxing match. Right, where he's actually going through his mind what moves he's going to use to incapacitate, and he calculates how much time it's going to take them to recover right. from the injuries that he's putting on them. They rescued the girl, and it turns out that this Lord Blackwood has been murdering people all over London in this satanic ritual, and he claims to have magical powers. His final wish is for Holmes to come see him in prison just before he gets hanged, mm-hmm. and he informs Holmes that he's going to come back from the dead, and he's right. going to kill more people, and there's going to be 
nothing that Holmes can do about it. And he's going to have to accept the supernatural. Because, of course, Holmes being the supreme logical rationale man that he is, does not believe in supernatural at all. Well, what happens? Yes, Lord Blackwood's tomb is burst open from the inside out. And it appears that he has come back to life. He has this master plan where he's going to destroy all the members of Parliament. He's going right. to kill them by mystical means. And, of course, the only man capable of stopping him is Sherlock Holmes. Now, as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more apparent that maybe Lord Blackwood actually does have supernatural powers because people mm-hmm. are being killed in ways that even Holmes, we get the impression that he's kind of stumped as to how it's being done. Mm-hmm. But of course, we see in a masterful scene where Holmes ties it all together yeah. and explains it for us how Lord Blackwood did this shit. And it turns out that, well, of course, Holmes wasn't baffled at all. Right. <laughs> it also turns out that there's a mysterious party behind the scene. Oh, yes. Irene Adler, the woman in Sherlock Holmes' life, the only woman that he ever acknowledged that he loved right. and was able to outwit him, she's working for a mysterious party that is directing things behind the scenes and he's staying in the shadows. And of course, we kind of figure it out right. pretty much before the great reveal at the end of the movie who it is. But still, it's a nice little red herring mm-hmm. that keeps us distracted. And I thought it was a good idea for them not to go with Professor Moriarty as the right. villain of this film. Because, of course, it's just like the Superman movies. Right. What are we tired of seeing? Lex Luthor. Right. Goddamn, we've had Lex Luthor in four Superman movies already. There are other enemies that he's got. Yeah. And when you see a Sherlock Holmes movie, you think, okay, Professor Moriarty. Right. Which is why I was really glad to see they put him up against somebody we had never seen yeah. before. Well, one of the things I really liked about the script is that the writers paid a lot of attention in anchoring it at a very specific time in Holmes' career. This is Holmes just before Rickenbacker falls. Yeah. So, it makes sense for Moriarty not to be the main villain. You have to remember something. Moriarty is regarded as Holmes' arch enemy, but he's actually only one story. Yeah. The one with Rickenbacker, and that's where they have their encounter, and he falls to his death. But yeah, but you're right, because a major subplot of the movie is that Watson's getting ready right. to be married, and he's moving out of the Baker Street mm-hmm. apartment that he shares with Holmes. And it also gives us a reason why Irene Adler does not appear after that point. The thing about her, she appears in, I think, two stories. Yeah. But it's all pre, quote the death of Sherlock Holmes yeah. and his resurrection. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that this story gives us very concrete where it falls in the canon. And it gives us a reason why Irene doesn't show up again. Right. And one thing i like to mention, this movie, oh, as everybody knows by now, was directed by Guy Ritchie, who I never thought had this type of movie I mean, in him. The only sequence which really feels like a Guy Ritchie sequence are those sequences you mentioned before with the fights, where everything is slowed down. Yeah. And we hear the inner monologue that Robert Downey Jr. is giving to himself. This is a movie I like. After me and Patricia saw she said, what do you think of it? I said, well, it's a good movie. I said, it's the lethal weapon version of yeah, Sherlock oh, Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but thank God it's not action Holmes either, which is what worried the shit out of me but, when I saw the trailers. But you know what I really like and what really surprised me? We saw some things in the movie that I had never read or seen in the Sherlock Holmes movie or story before. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't feel they violated yeah. it. Yeah. Like the whole thing where he was doing the bare knuckles rolling thing. Yeah. I've never heard of that in a Sherlock Holmes story or movie. But for some reason, I didn't feel that yeah. was out of character. That maybe Holmes might do this just to keep himself sharp. Because how else is he supposed to... It's like know, stress relief for him. You know, and as far as combat goes... If hallelujah that this script gives us the John Watson of the books. Yeah. Because I hate Nigel Bruce. See, there you go again. That was a product of the times. But, Derek, 
Nigel Bruce's goofball performance of Dr. Watson mm-hmm. colored every other performance of Dr. Watson for decades to come. Whoa! Turned this character, who was a former military man, who was considered by Holmes to be his equal. Well, he's his best friend, yeah. yeah. We can agree on one thing. Holmes is not a guy that suffers fools lightly. Yeah. And there was no reason why he would be friends with Watson if Watson was a buffoon. However, when they made those movies mm-hmm. back during the 40s that you named with Nigel Bruce, this was their way instead of putting Holmes up against smarter adversaries mm-hmm. to show how brilliant he was, they choose to dumb down Watson yeah. in order to make Holmes look Which smarter. Which service to the character. Exactly. Because and they, because Jude Law nails it. Oh, yeah. Jude Law, he was the best thing in this movie, mm-hmm. as far as I was concerned. And that's why, when I started this, I said, he's not a sidekick. He's his equal partner in this relationship. He's just as much a man of action as Holmes. No, he's not as intelligent as putting these clues together. That yeah. doesn't mean he's a stupid man. And I like that little flash of anger that they had at the beginning when they stopped the sacrifice. Yeah. And Holmes gives Blackwood that little whack with his cane mm-hmm. because he's pissed off. He's a very passionate man. Despite the fact that there's that really awkward dialogue trying to explain her accent. I also really dug, but then again, I've always been a fan of Rachel McAdams. Yeah. I have mentioned her many times in this podcast. Mm -hmm. She looks weird in the old school bustles. Yeah. But in that last act where she's dressed up in the trousers. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I really saw no reason why they had to do that fancy tongue dancing to explain her accent. Because yeah. in the original story, she's an American. Yeah. So there's a reason why she talks like an American. Because she is. The look of this movie is terrific. I love the score. Yeah. The thing I find fascinating about, I think it's Hans Zimmer did Hans the score. Zimmer, yeah. It seemed like he only used instruments that would be contemporary of the time. Yeah. And yeah. it helped to immerse me further into the world. I mean, that shipyard fight, mm-hmm. I loved that. That was a great thing. I kind of felt like they threw in a James Bondian type of henchman, mm-hmm. the big super strong guy that Holmes and yeah. Watson kept running into, kind of like as a homage to James Bond. Played by professional wrestler the Kurgan. I like the fact that this was not an idealized London. No, no. This Where was, the place looks muddy, it looks lived in, grungy, and grungy, yeah. grungy, dirty, cloudy. Yeah. Notice that there was no sunny scene in the yeah. whole movie because London weather is notoriously lousy. Make no bones about it. This is a very steampunk version yeah. of Sherlock yeah. Holmes. The entropic element is A, sort of believable yeah. given the context and B, just that one element. This, for me, was one of the most enjoyable movies I've seen in a long time and mm-hmm. I give Robert Downey Jr. a lot of credit for playing the character. And you can see, just like he does with Tony yeah. Stark, he has fun playing these guys. Yeah. These eccentric, genius types of guys. Mm-hmm. Nothing that he does in here violates what we already know about Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. He's got the arrogance, he's got the intelligence, but there's also kind of wistful vulnerability about him, like mm-hmm. the great scene where he's at the table having dinner with Watson. And, and he's trying to behave like a, like yeah, a friend. Yeah, he's trying to behave like a normal person. And I love dinner. the fact that the fiancé is the one that kind of goads him into and using the rack. She said, tell me about myself. And you see, he's, well, no, I really shouldn't do he's that. He's trying hard. Yeah. Not because it's like, this is about my best friend. This is not about me. And you see, Watson, he's over there. He said, Mary, no. you don't want to do that. <laughs> Please, because he will tell and she says, just, no, no, you're the great Sherlock Holmes. You can just tell. And know what? He tells her. And he gets the wine. But yeah. And he just has such a puppy dog look on his face as he's sitting there trying to hold on to his Because you know, yeah. he's trying for his friend. Exactly. You see in that scene echoes of one of our favorite characters, House. Yes. Who is based in large part on Sherlock Holmes and the relationship Holmes has 
with his friend, House has with James Wilson. With Wilson, is a lot like the relationship between Holmes and Watson. Right. It was a wonderful movie. I loved it. I'm looking forward to it. I was very out. relieved because I had such fears that this movie was going to be everything I did not want in a Holmes film. Yeah, Guy Ritchie, because I've seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, mm-hmm. and to this day, I cannot see what is supposed to be so brilliant about that movie. I did like Rock and Roller a lot. I like Sherlock Holmes. I'm looking forward to a sequel. Sure enough, they've actually put off things they were going to do to make the sequel. Oh, that's good. So, Guy Ritchie was supposed to do Lobo next, of all things. Yeah. Yeah, this is the Lethal Weapon version of Sherlock Holmes, but it's a good Lethal Weapon Mm -hmm. (laughs) version. Okay, so... So, take it away. Do you want to hear the one I really, really liked, or the one I really, really hated? Go with the one you really, really hated and get the bile out of your system. Uh, you just love it when I just go around. Okay, so we're talking about... Nah, but you, you want to roll, kid! I think it was the first horror movie to be released this year, Legion. Ah, the one with Angels with Machine Guns. Yes, which was directed by Scott Stewart and written by Stewart and Peter Schenk. Okay. Derek, there is nothing <laughs> that annoys me more in this world than in movies Jeff that Johns. Is, <laughs> besides Jeff Johns. <laughs> And the Dowdell Brothers. Okay. And the team from New England. (laughs) Then a movie that is infinitely stupid and yet spends almost its entire running time trying to convince you it's very, very smart. Remember how once I described 30 Days a Night as the film that got down on its knees before it went to bed every day and prayed that it woke up it would be 28 Days Later? 28 Days Later, yeah. This is the movie that gets down on its knees and before it goes to bed and prays every day that it wakes up as either the Terminator or Night of the Living Dead or Constantine. That's what I've heard, that this is just a remake of the Terminator, basically. Oh, it so wants to be the I Terminator. I mean, you know, with angels. The thing that really, really, really bothers me about this film is it's one of these films where it should have just went with it and been, okay, we know we're a dumb action movie. It's the worst of what I like to refer to as the just-go-with-it school of American filmmaking, okay. which is the predominant school these days. You have all these characters who are just types, mm-hmm. and it's even doubly aggravating because they cast people. It's like, okay, well, we got a religious black guy. Mm-hmm. Let's go get Charles Dutton. He's played religious Charles black guy Dutton. before. Okay. We have the troubled father type who loves his son but has trouble expressing his feelings. Let's get Dennis Quaid. He's done that before. Mm-hmm. Trisha and I went to see, I forgot what it was that we went to see, but we saw the trailer, and the trailer looked so kick-ass. I said, oh man, I gotta see that. But then I heard from people like you and other people yeah. whose opinion I trust that uh, it was so negative, I said, I think I'll wait for the DVD. Okay. <laughs> so the movie opens in Los Angeles when a mysterious figure appears in the middle of the ground at falling from dun, a great dun, height. Dun. Tell me what this sounds like. He gets up, and he takes out a knife and does some sort of surgery on his back. Then goes into, I don't know what this place is, it's on a city street, apparently I guess they have freaking armories on the middle of city streets that look like liquor stores or something. Oh shit, (laughs) okay. And he's coming out with two gym bags. Uh Where did he get the gym bags? We don't know. We don't know. Filled to Just the, go with yes, it. Yes, filled to the brim with ordinances, and then he's stopped by two cops, one of who starts doing this, like, epileptic safety dance, okay. and becomes some sort of monster that tries to kill this guy, but the guy who's played by Paul Bettany kills him, kills the other cop, hijacks the police car, and drives off into the desert. Okay. Then we cut to a place called the Paradise Falls Diner. Once again... 
trying really hard just go with it to convince us it's much more meaningful than it really is mm-hmm. Paradise Falls like in the Milton book right right okay that you read way back in junior high, high and school. it's owned by Dennis Quaid and his son Dennis Quaid plays a character called Bob and his son has the unlikely name of Jeep who names their kid Jeep same people that name their kids uh, Christelle. Okay, okay. And Timberland. <laughs> she has this crush on this girl, Charlie, mm-hmm. who is pregnant by another man. There's this diner in the middle of nowhere. Supposedly he bought this when there was supposed to be like a shopping mall opening up nearby. Mm-hmm. But then they decided not to build it there, move it somewhere else. So now the, the place is just a money pit. And it's just Bob and Jeep. Bob's wife left him a long time ago. Yeah, because he named their son Jeep. Right. There's the Andersons are there. They're like a family that's got lost. Kyle, who is this gangbanger-looking guy who is on his way to a court date for custody of his kid, he stops in, and then the old lady shows up. we all seen the trailer. Yeah. Because there's nothing more shocking than an old lady talking foul-mouthed. I don't see why. Betty White does it all the yeah, time, and nobody oh. bats an eye. And then we learn what's going on, because Paul Bettany shows up just in time to kill the old lady walking onto the ceilings, and he explains that God is just pissed, and he's decided to end the world, and the angels are coming Again? down. And Charlie's son, if he lives, will lead humanity into its new age. Okay. How? Just go with it. Just go with it! And so the angels, though, can't appear as angels. So, so they wait, just... wait, 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 wait. So let me get this straight. God is going to end the world because yes. he's pissed. However, he allows this baby to be born. Yes. Well, the baby's not born yet. So they've sent the angels to kill the baby so that that way when the world is ended, it's going to stay ended. Wouldn't it have been simpler for God to just reach down a finger and the game yeah. of pregnancy? I mean, he is But God. then there wouldn't I be mean, a movie. I mean, he is God. One, two, three. Just, Just go, go with it. it. So, it turns out that most angels, apparently, I don't know why, rather than come down en masse, because when we see the bad guy angel later on, mm-hmm. he's a kicker of much ass. Okay. But rather than have just a whole bunch of these kickers of much ass come down and lay waste to this little fucking diner, the angels decide to come and possess normal people. So they become zombies. And hang outside the diner. Sort of like those zombies in Dawn of the Dead. Because, if I recall correctly from my reading of the Bible, Mm -hmm. God really only needed to send out one angel, and he did that to lay waste to the entire city. But it wouldn't be cool if it was just one angel. So all these angels are possessing these human beings. We're turning into these CGI monsters. There is a scene that is so much a bald-faced ripple of that scene in Night of the Living Dead where... They go off to try and fill the gas tank. But then that doesn't work, so it's obvious the producers must know that the audience would have gotten bored after about an hour of zombies trying to get inside. And I find it interesting, by the way, they take away the white father and torture him and do horrible things to him just so they can hide the fact that the next two people who die very horribly are the only two black people in the whole cast. Ah. Okay? So they get bored, so they decide to send down Gabriel, played by Kevin Durant. Dun, dun, dun. Who is an angel, and we find out that Paul Bettany is Michael, is also Michael. an angel. An angel yeah. who has voluntarily given up his angelness. Matter of fact, he's not just an angel, he's an archangel. He's an archangel, so yeah. is Gabriel. Yeah, now, they're archangels, which means that they rule over other okay. angels who already can lay waste to continents. Yes. So you got to figure, okay, if How an angel this? can lay waste to cities, and they can lay waste... No way to describe how ludicrous Gabriel is as a character. He comes in in full armor with his wings, and I refer to it as the Swiss Army Mace. Because not only does it bash things in the head, it has spikes that come out. 
and blades that come out, and it spins like a top. It slices, it dices, oh and my. it oh. Juilliards. And he has a fight. Now, this is the part where they wish they were the Matrix, because he does these all these like flippy-doos, and he's like, doing this thing where he's like, swinging his wings around. Mind you, the wings are razor sharp, so why the fuck does he need the... Why well, does he need the Matrix? Yeah, exactly. So these are angels that know Kung Fu. It's Kung Fu angels. There's more big, crunchy-punchy run-run. Eventually, Michael is killed, and it's up to Jeep to take Charlie to safety. Charlie gets into a car with Jeep, and they drive off. Gabriel in hot pursuit. Bottom line, folks, go Netflix The Prophecy if you want to see a good Angels at War movie. The thing that really amazed me at the very end is that they get to the point where Jeep is facing down Gabriel for the life of Charlie. And you figure, this is the culmination of Jeep's character arc, because... At the beginning, we see the Jeep is very shy, he's very pacifistic, he doesn't want to fight. Okay. And here he is, he's fighting for his lady love. Only, at the last minute, and this is why there's a warning class at the beginning of this episode, folks, down comes Michael, back into full angel regalia, mm-hmm. to save his fucking ass, and kill Gabriel. Because, I didn't give God what he wanted, I gave him what he needed. What the fuck is that even supposed to mean? <laughs> what? Two, three. Just, Just go with it. it. But the point I'm making is the second Michael flies down to beat Gabriel's ass, do sex Jeep's character arc is killed. Yeah, because there was no reason for him to exactly. There's no reason for him to fight. Yeah, no reason. And then we have this little stupid coda with them driving into Mexico with lots of guns in the back, a la Terminator 2. And as a matter of fact, I would have been pissed off as Michael. Oh, now you wait to come down and yeah. do this shit. <laughs> what happened to you before when everybody was getting killed? Yeah. Oh, fuck this movie, man. Oh, man. Fuck this movie. I'm glad I didn't go see it. When I saw the trailer, me and Patricia saw the trailer, we said, oh, we gotta go see this. We gotta. But then I started hearing from so many people, man, don't go see that. Nah, nah, you don't want to see that. All right, what do you want to talk about so, first? So, you're okay now. You got out to see The next, well, the last film I'm going to talk about is a lot less risible. Well, the movie I'm going to talk about hopefully will lighten your spirits a little bit. Okay. Because it's an animated movie, and it's a style of animation that both you and I have expressed many times our love for yes. stop motion animation. Mm. It's the fantastic Mr. Fox, which is directed by one of my favorite directors. He, and I want to get into a minute why he's a favorite of mine. Wes Anderson. Screenplay is by Wes Anderson, based on the book by Roald Dahl, who gave us Chitty Chitty right. Bang Bang. A great, great man. A great, great man. Okay, we've talked about this before. Me and Tom remember when actors were actually embarrassed to be in animated movies. Right. And you didn't know who the voices was, unless it was mm-hmm. somebody like the guy that did the voice of Baloo in Jungle Book, Phil Harris. But most actors didn't want to do it. However, in Fantastic Mr. Fox, the names of the actors were put up as if they were actually starring in the yeah. movie. So we have George Clooney as Mr. Fox. We have Meryl Streep as Mrs. Fox. Mm-hmm. We have Bill Murray playing a badger. Michael Gambon. Willem Dafoe, who plays Fox's arch enemy, Rat. Owen Wilson. Did Brian Cox. You know what I think changed that attitude? When when Disney went into their second age of animation, Little Mermaid, and they were actively creating characters around actors. Actors, yeah. yeah. I think that kind of made it okay yeah. for a lot of these people. Oh, you're going to build a character who actually looks like me? Mm-hmm. And I can be myself? Right. The voice talent in this movie is absolutely amazing. And me, I am just so happy that we have a movie 
that's not CGI, an right. animated movie. Because we have a generation that's growing up in danger of the only animation they know is CGI. Right. And unless people make movies like this and show kids how much fun it can be... But you, you end up seeing Princess and the Frog, which is a, a cell art animation. Yeah, but it wasn't up to the level of Disney movies of okay. the past. Which it wasn't even up to the level of The Little Mermaid, which is why I'm not reviewing it because okay. of my disappointment in it. If enough of you want to hear me review it, email us. I'll give you a review because I did see it, but I was just so disappointed I mean, about it. After all, Disney is not a stranger to these shores. No, it's not. And I was so in love with Fantastic Mr. Fox right. when I saw that. I asked you to do this one because of how much I adore stop-motion animation. This year we've got the Clash of Titans remake, which is, I think, really sad because that means there are going to be all these people who will never see the original Ray Harryhausen animated Titans will, will clash! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeff Johns will suck! There's a lot of people that are not going to go see the original. Although you never know. People might be curious. Well, they, there is, they are doing a DVD release of Clash of Titans. Oh, that's really good. To yeah. tie in with the new film. And of course, if anybody's interested in what we thought of Clash of the Titans, mm-hmm. they can go back Well, if they're the interested archive. in what we think about a great, great man, Ray Harryhausen, yeah, go back way back to episode number eight when we talk about the Sinbad series. We've never actually talked about Clash of the Titans. Yes, we did. Didn't we? No. Yes, we did. I thought we did an episode. Well, we, we did an episode where we talked about the Sinbad series. We've never talked about any other Ray Harryhausen films. Maybe I, we should correct that. I, we got to check that out, because I mm-hmm. think we did do one. You have to excuse us, folks. We've been doing this for four years now. And as a matter of fact, since the other one, we yeah. lost this one. This one is actually our... The uh, beginning of our fourth year. Of our fourth year. Better in the dark. We were supposed to do this on Super Bowl and Sunday. And I just want to say, we could not have done it without all you guys coming in every week and saying, we like this show, we want more of it. Absolutely. So thank you very much. We'll have more to say about the anniversary thing after this. Let me yes. knock out this review and get it out of the way. When the movie opens up, we meet Mr. Fox, right. who is voiced by George Clooney. Mm-hmm. And he's like this fast-talking, hip type of slickster whose profession is stealing chickens. He's with his wife, Mrs. Fox, voiced by Meryl Streep. And they're stealing what a weird thing to have as your profession. That's his job. He steals chickens for a living. Well, he's a fox. Okay. What else does he do? And he takes his wife with him, and they go out, and they're stealing chickens one night. She reveals to him that she's pregnant, and mm-hmm. they're going to have a little cub. She wants him to stop stealing chickens and to settle down. So he gets a job as a newspaper writer. He writes a column for the local newspaper, and he buys a condo in a tree. He settles down to a nice suburban life with his son, Ash, voiced by Jason, Jason Schwartzman. Ash is, how shall I put this, something of an underachiever. He's your typical teenager. He's very surly. He's very snarly. And it really doesn't help when his cousin, Christopherson, <laughs> comes to live with them for a while because his father is sick. Christopherson is a yoga master. Mm-hmm. He's a martial arts expert. He's devastatingly handsome, and when he goes to their school, of course, Agnes, the girl that Ash has a crush on, falls in right. love with Christopherson. Now, while this is going on, Mr. Fox is feeling restless, shall we say. Mm-hmm. He decides, as an antidote for this restlessness, he's going to go back into chicken stealing one more time. He's going to pull up one big job with the help of his sidekick, a possum. There are these three farmers. Mm-hmm. One is a chicken farmer, one is a turkey farmer, a guy who has created his own new breed of turkey. Mm-hmm. And another one is an apple farmer. So Mr. Fox is going to knock them off. One after another, he's going to steal everything they got, and then he's going to retire for good. Unfortunately, the farmers 
catch him one night, and then they proceed to dig up his condo slash tree. Mm-hmm. They have the big steam shovels, and they come right. along, and in the process, they destroy the whole community that all these other animals live in, and mm-hmm. they're forced to hide in the sewers. Mr. Fox has to redeem himself in the eyes mm-hmm. of his wife and his mm-hmm. friends, the other animals, by finding them a new home mm-hmm. and rescuing Christopherson, who has been caught by the farmers. It's a lot of fun. I love stop-motion animation. The expressions that they get on the faces of these characters, especially Mr. Fox. George Clooney plays him, he's talking like a mile a minute. Imagine a fox as a used car salesman. (laughs) And he's just so full of himself and he's so egotistical. That's why they call him the fantastic Mr. Fox. (laughs) And Wes Anderson, there's this great scene Mm -hmm. where it's like two levels of Mr. Fox's house. And we see these animals that are fixing it up. And it must be at least a dozen different stop-motion animation characters on two levels that are doing this. I sat there and I said, oh my God. Of course you could do that in CGI. But it takes artistry to do something like that and pull it off convincingly and make it work. Wes Anderson, he's done movies that I really like, such as The Royal Tenenbaums and Mm -hmm. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, which actually should be seen as a double feature with The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai because what a lot of people don't get about Steve Zizou is that it's a modern-day pulp adventure character. And I'm going to explain that in a future episode because I know people are going to say, what the hell is Derek talking about now? I didn't like the Darjeeling Limited because it had not Owen Wilson but his brother. Who I can't oh, imagine. Not Lewis Wilson. Um, the guy that's doing the AT&T commercials now? Yeah, that's Lewis Wilson. That's Lewis Wilson. Yeah, he's in that one. I, for some reason, I know you don't like Owen Wilson. Yeah, I can't stand Owen Wilson. I like Owen Wilson, but I don't like his brother. <laughs> if you have kids, sit them down and watch the Fantastic Mr. Fox with them. Because one of the flaws of this movie is a flaw that I see in a lot of animated movies. In that they're really not made for kids. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of the dialogue, I think... Which I think is a legacy of the second age of Disney. Expound, expound. Okay, you know how Little Mermaid, and especially Aladdin, those earliest of those second age of Disney films, they worked on two levels, yeah. in that you had the adventure and the romance for the kids, right. but you also had these little sly in-jokes and blue wings and right. I think what happened is, obviously those films were big successes, mm. and the other aspiring animators looked towards them and... As with those NYU students who saw Reservoir Dogs the first time, they got the wrong answer to the right question. And so I think a lot of the non-Disney films overstack Mm -hmm. those adult references. Like a lot of the DreamWorks stuff, they overstack the adult stuff to the point where it diminishes the kids' interest. Yeah, exactly. And especially in Fantastic Mr. Fox, because a lot of the dialogue mm-hmm. is spoken very rapidly. Right. They do have some clever things in there, like the way they handle profanity in this movie. Mm-hmm. The characters substitute the word cuss for a profanity. So, like, there's this one scene where Mr. Fox and his sidekick, the Apostle, they're going to the chicken farm. Right. And on the blueprints, there's supposed to be this empty field mm-hmm. they can cut across. And there's a fence there. And Mr. Fox said... Who the cuss put a fence on here? <laughs> so, of course, you can substitute yeah, what he's really saying. Of course. And, and, it's, and it's a scene he has with George Clooney and Bill Murray. They're talking like that all throughout the scene. Well, what the cuss did you say that for? <laughs> and your cussing mother. And yeah. it's a clever scene if you're an adult because, of course, you're substituting the real right. cuss words for what they're saying. But mm-hmm. if you're a kid, you may sit there and say, well, Mommy, why do you keep saying cuss? Yeah. Because you're not getting it. And it seems like that through there. I'm not saying it can't be seen by right. kids, but I think that it's a movie you shouldn't let your kid watch by themselves because mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of things. And for instance, Mr. Fox, he has a Walkman. 
What kid today is going to know what a Walkman is? Because at the beginning of the movie, we see him, he's exercising, and he's listening to the ballad of David Crockett on his Walkman. (laughs) Okay. And it's a funny scene if you're an adult like me and you, and we know who David Crockett is in a Walkman, but a kid today would look at it, because let's face it, for a modern day kid, a Walkman is like, what, a wind-up photograph. Would be those me little, and those you. Those little big horn for controllers. Right. That's what it would be like to me and you. Can yeah. look at a Walkman and say, well, Daddy, what's that? But still, it's a marvelous movie to watch with your kids. Yeah. Because you being an adult, you definitely won't be bored. And if you like Meryl Streep and George Clooney and Bill Murray and all these other adult actors, you're going to love hearing their voices coming out of these marvelously animated right. characters. So, yes, Fantastic Mr. Fox is definitely a movie I can recommend. It's and back to you. The last film that I'm going to talk about today is the flip side of Legion. Okay. And this is Daybreakers, mm-hmm. which actually came out late last year, but I only caught up with it about two weeks ago. This was directed and written by Michael and Peter Sperig, who are Australian filmmakers. Yeah, this is like one of the last releases of last yes, year. Yes, yeah. it was. It takes place in a near-future world where, because of a virus that was caught from a bat, the majority of the population has become vampires. Literal, honest-to-gosh, go out at night, drink blood, <laughs> don't change your looks, don't die, vampire. And they're now at a point of crisis. It's been so long that... Most of the people in the world are vampires, so the blood supply has dwindled, which leads to some people who've gone without blood for a certain point Mm -hmm. to regress into these Nosferatu-looking motherfuckers. Oh, okay. What they call regressors. They're becoming more and more of a problem. There is a pharmaceutical company that is looking for a blood substitute. It is headed by Charles Bromley, played by Sam Neill, who might as well be a vampire, because he doesn't look like he's ever changed. Isn't it remarkable? That guy, I don't yeah. think in the past 30 years, he hasn't changed mm-hmm. his... Yeah. He has he's been amazing. He is perfectly cast in this film. And of his star pharmacologist, Ethan Hawke, playing Edward Dalton. Playing a vampire, yeah, that's typecasting, because this guy, even when he looks good, in a, mm-hmm. he looks like a vampire. Even when he's walking around in the damn daylight. Now, on his way home one night, Edward has an accident, a car accident. He goes out to see if the people are okay. And it turns out they're human. Rather than grab them and hand them over to the, them in the, blood bank. the vampire army, there's this whole vampire army that's going around looking for the last humans. <laughs> in fact, one of the early gags is we're looking at a subway station, and Dalton passes by an ad that says, We want you for the vampire army, and it's Uncle Sam with fangs. He conceals their presence from the authorities Mm -hmm. and lets them go about their way. Later on, he is approached by the female member of this group that she saved, Audrey, played by Claudia Carvan, to come and help them work on a cure. Claudia is part of a cell of humans that is holed up in this winery somewhere Mm -hmm. that is headed by Elvis. Not the Elvis. Thank you, Thank you very much. But a former vampire played by Willem Dafoe. Once again. Once again, typecasting. He's a former vampire. Somehow, he reverted back. And they're asking Edward to figure out what it is that turned him back. Back to a human. To a human. Because if they could do that, they have a solution. They have a cure. They can offer it to the vampires who don't want to be vampires. And thus, solve the whole problem. Repopulate the human race. But why would I take the cure if that means that you're just going to turn around and suck my blood after I become human? 
Well, it turns out that <laughs> the cure is a combination of controlled exposure to sunlight combined with ingesting the blood of someone who has turned back. Mm. So, the problem with this film, I found it a very entertaining two hours, but I did think it was flawed. And I think the major flaw with this film is that the Spirit spent so much time building their world. Well, that's what I've heard, that the best thing about this movie is the exploration of what a total vampire yes. world would be like. Well, how would it operate? There are a lot of little touches, like, for example, the presence of the subwalks, which are a network of underground tunnels that the vampires can use during the, during daylight. the day. Right, allowing them to move um, around during the daylight hours. Yeah. Stuff like... The fact that there are still Starbucks in this world that serve coffee with blood instead of milk in it. But I think they spent so much time building this incredible world that the plot suffers. And I think there's also a number of concessions to moviegoer perceptions. Like, for example, there is a kind of sort of romance which really adds nothing to the plot between Edward and Audrey. There is another subplot between Charles Bromley and his daughter, who is a human who ran away rather than be turned. Now, let me ask you something. Did you get the impression that the filmmakers actually did want to make a movie just about this vampire world? I think so. I kind of tapped on the subplot about changing people back. Yeah. I I think that it was an exercise in world building, and then they realized, wait a minute, we need to get a plot. We need to have a plot. Sell it to the studio. Yeah, exactly. But I think that overall works a hell of a lot better than Legion. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it, yeah. This is not a film that says go with it. In fact, there's too much of this is why this is here. Yeah, this is you. why this is here. Yeah. This is why this is here. It doesn't insult your intelligence. It doesn't insult your intelligence, but because it spends so much time telling you why this is here, why this is here, why this is here, the story itself is kind of threadbare. The subplot with Charles Bromley and his daughter goes nowhere. Quite frankly, it could have been structured a lot better. But overall, I think maybe when it comes out on Netflix, you could do a lot worse than put this on the queue and watch it. At the very least, it gave me the same sort of feel that Dark City did. Oh, high praise indeed. But in a much like, okay, this is Dark City, yeah. and this here is Daybreakers. Right. But it gave me the same sort of impression where I was immersed, immersed in another in that world. Right. Another world. I gotcha, yeah. I would have preferred that they maybe gave up on some of these details and gave us a stronger story. The acting is pretty good throughout. I'm surprised Sam Neill doesn't get more work, because I think he's really, really good. Hawk is good for, for who he is. I probably could have done without Claudia Carvon, but hey, considering what she does, she does what she needs she's to do. She's eye candy. Especially since she spends a lot of the film in this thin little top where the nipples are just poking out. Good shit. Hey. But overall, definitely when it comes out on Netflix, I recommend people give it a rental. All right. So, okay. yeah, yeah, because I was going to go see it in the movie theaters, but then it came and went so fast. Yeah. It did. Oh, it, it disappeared from me. It came and went so fast. to find it at the Regal Union Square mm-hmm. in one of the smaller theaters, so I was able to go and see it on a Friday morning. Because, I me, mean, I'm about ready for a vampire mm-hmm. movie where vampires are treated like, like vampires. That's the other thing I liked is that these regressors are scary motherfucking vampires. Yeah, they're not these old, so tragic, romantic yeah. figures, and only if, oh, if only I could find someone to love that wouldn't mm-hmm. die, man, please give me a break. Okay, uh, is it back to me? Yes, it is. Now for my next movie. This is Moon. That was a movie that came out last year. Yes. It's a movie that I like to tell people is the best Stanley Kubrick movie that was never made by Stanley Kubrick. Mainly because of the look of the movie. I swear, you look at it, and you remember the design of the Discovery from 2001? Right. This 
So looks it's very like clean and very very clean. Which, quite different. frankly, I'm ready to see again. Yeah, we've had how much? About 25 years of dark and gritty and garbage everywhere and, and, grun- and grungy living yeah. spaceships. No, this is very clean, very pristine, very sharp angles. Mm-hmm. And yes, the look of this movie is very Kubrickian, and I like it a lot. Sam Rockwell plays Sam Bell, who is working on the moon. He works for this mining company. Earth has had an energy crisis. There's this substance called helium E3 that's on the moon that he's mining. And he's mining it, and he's shipping it back to Earth. Sounds like an anime. Helium E3. He has a three-year contract. And his contract is almost up. Mm -hmm. He's looking forward to going home and being with his wife and his daughter again. He's been trying to get transmissions out to tell them this how much, but for some reason, transmissions are being blocked. Sam's a little pissed off. He keeps asking his robot helper, Gertie, who is voiced by none other than Kevin Spacey. This is another thing that adds to the Kubrickian feel mm-hmm. in this movie, because remember how, from yeah. 2001, and how calm and how rational he sounded? Kevin Spacey does the exact same thing. No matter how desperate or bad things get in this movie, he always talks, open the pod bay doors, Hal. He always talks in that it's nice, right, calm Sam. voice. Here's what happens. Sam has to go outside to repair one of the harvesters. That's what these machines are that gathers up this substance. There's an accident and he's injured. Mm-hmm. Okay, he wakes up back at his base. But there's another Sam Bell there also. Who is this Sam Bell and where did he come from? Is he actually even there? Mm-hmm. Because now all of a sudden Sam can get through to Earth and he's talking to some corporate people. And even though there are two Sams standing mm-hmm. side by side, able to be seen by these people... They're talking like there's only one Sam. Right. So, is Sam hallucinating? Or is it maybe an alien presence that's trying to contact him? Or is the other Sam the real Sam? And if he's the real Sam, then who is this Sam that we've been following for an hour into the movie? I cannot say anymore without giving away because part of the fun of watching Moon is piecing together exactly what the hell is going on here. I can recommend it wholeheartedly for the virtuoso performance of Sam Rockwell, who is virtually the only character that we have in the movie. He's playing himself and another version of himself through the whole movie. And I've loved Sam Rockwell ever since he made that movie, Confession of Dangerous Mind. Yeah, let me tell you something. Chuck Barris. I can't wait to see him play Justin Hammer. Sam Rockwell does an incredible job in this movie. And it's interesting piecing together the mystery of what happened to him in that accident. And where did this other Sam Bell come from? And indeed, is there another Sam Bell? Are there more Sam Bells? Was there ever a Sam Bell? These questions that come up as you're watching this movie. Another thing I liked about this movie, which is why I wanted to throw this into the review, because I Mm -hmm. talked about how much I love stop motion animation with the fantastic Mr. Fox. You know what we get in this movie? What do we get in this movie? We get models. When Sam goes out in these vehicles Mm -hmm. to repair the thing, it's not CGI. It's actual to God models like they used to build. Yes. And we get a lot of that in this movie. Well, I've always said that the thing that aggravates me about CGI is it has no weight to it. Yeah. A model has weight. Yeah. I think the spaceship, we see a spaceship near the end of the movie. I think that might be CGI. But there are other spaceships that we see in there. And they're models. Mm -hmm. And the vehicles that are used are models. And I just love seeing this old school type of filmmaking being used again. Instead of just going the lazy route. Well, just just throw CGI in there. I think they did that because if you use CGI, you have a tendency, I think filmmakers do, to make everything bigger. 
Right. Just because you can, but when you are dealing with models and stop motion animation, it's scaled down because right. your attention is kind of concentrated and focused on that one thing. It's the less is more school of filmmaking is mm-hmm. what I call it. So this right. base, because if it was CGI, they would have this 10 mile long base and you would say, well, what is it built that big for, right. for one guy? But it's a small, tight, little confined area that contributes to the claustrophobia mm-hmm. and paranoia of this movie. Again. I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you want to see an intelligent science fiction movie and not just an action or a horror movie disguised as science fiction, Moon is the movie for you because this is the real deal. This is genuine sci-fi. And we seem to be getting a return to, thank God, original science fiction again. Yeah. Between yeah. this and District 9. And yeah. even as much as I will not go see it because I will not give James Cameron any more of my money, mm-hmm. Avatar. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Avatar and District 9 are derivative of other films in their way, but the way the elements are put together, they are original in and of themselves. Yeah. They're not based on a comic book or a remake of a previous film. I saw Avatar, and I like Avatar more for the motion capture work. Yeah. Because I do believe that it represents a quantum leap in that type of technology. Mm -hmm. It's incredible to look at it, and those characters look absolutely real. Serious, they look just real as you do to me. That's it. Story-wise, you've heard it by now, and it's true. It's Dances with Wool. And it's a movie that, personally, me, as a black man, I find offensive, because I think that, again, again, we have another movie where... The great white man comes and saves the native population. Now, these are people who've been living on this planet all their life. Well, no, they can't defend it. They need him to help them defend their planet from the other evil white people. It's just so ridiculous. Now, I know you've never seen the Star Trek movie, Insurrection. No, I haven't. Right. But, but I apparently am going to soon. And we'll tell y'all folks about that later. But in that movie, there was this planet that had this radiation that was like the fountain of youth. It made right. you younger. Now, Starfleet comes along, and it's only 6,000 people that live on the damn planet. For some reason, they need the whole planet. They have to take these right. people off of there. Now, you say, it's a whole big-ass planet. Isn't it big enough for everybody that wants to come on there? It's the same thing with Avatar. We're supposed to believe that it's this whole big planet, but yet the only deposit of this miracle metal called unobtainium. You're joking, right? No, that's the name of the metal, unobtainium. Unobtainium. Well, it's an in-joke. It's something- Has James Cameron gotten so lazy that that is his idea of an... Uh... No, well, it's been used in other movies. It was used in Core. As a matter of fact, it goes back to 50 science fiction movies and books and novels. If you were a science fiction writer and you needed a miracle mm-hmm. metal right. that could do anything you wanted to, you call it unobtainium. But we're supposed to believe that the only deposit of this metal is right where these natives live. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me you can't find it anywhere else on this big-ass planet. Mm-hmm. It's just right there. I realize that a lot of people haven't seen westerns. I grew up watching westerns. This is the same plot of at least 50 westerns mm-hmm. I've seen where you have the white man raised by the Indians, and he's right. the only one that can save the Indians from the other evil white men. It's so. take a rice burrows all over again. Well, yeah. People say, oh, well, it's just a movie. Yeah, well, it is just a movie, but it's a movie that really, at its core, is not terribly original as right. far as stories go. And people are talking about, oh, it's terrific, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fantastic to look at. The military guy is such a stereotype. Oh, the one played by our good friend Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang. It's like right from the beginning, like crush, kill, destroy. Right. Why are you so hostile against these natives? And there is literally no other way that they tried to resolve the situation. All Mm -hmm. they just want to do is that they just want to drive the natives off their land and steal. And it's such a blatant... Parable? Parable, yeah, to what happened to American Indians or... 
Africa, or any place any downtrodden people have been chased off their land by the okay. evil white people. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoyed the movie for what it was. But I also looked under the surface also, right. which, of course, a lot of people don't do because what do people say today? Well, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to. get it out. Just, just go, go with, with it. it. Yeah, I don't want to think. I think we have added a new catchphrase into the Better in the Dark vernacular today. Yeah, yeah. That's a phrase I don't want to hear out of anybody this year in 2010. Well, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to have to think. Well, you know what? Then this isn't the podcast for you. If all you just want to do is be entertained and you don't want to think. Because yeah. me and Tom have perfectly good brains and we see no reason why they shouldn't do the job Agreed. that they were designed to do. Agreed. Which, which kind of like, I think, is the theme of the episode, if you think about it. Because mm-hmm. what is my big complaint about Absolute Justice? Just go Just with go it. Just go with it, yeah. What was my complaint about Legion? Just, Just go, go with, with it. it. Let's summarize. This has turned out to be a longer episode than we thought. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of meat here, so... Yes, so do I. To summarize... Yeah. We both really, really liked Sherlock Holmes. Really, really liked Sherlock Holmes. Great action. Great. I call it the lethal weapon Sherlock Holmes. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it good. If you remember how excited you were over the first lethal weapon movie, yeah, then you're going to love Sherlock Holmes. There is nothing in this movie that violates what we already know about right. the character. And, of course, we have that wonderful performance. Jude Law walks away with yes. the movie as the Dr. John Watson. If you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, this is the Watson you've always wanted yeah. to see. Oh, Lord knows it was the Watson I wanted to This see. is the Watson you've always wanted. This, I mean, this is a Watson who is an equal partner. I do want to say something about Mark Strong. I enjoyed him for what he was, but I'm really kind of disturbed by the way now it seems he's going to be the villain in John Carter of Mars. He's going to be Sinestro in Green Lantern. Okay. And I think that he's going to become the lazy pick for somebody who wants a villain. Okay. But that's all I wanted to say about Mark Strong. All right. Tom and I split on Absolute Justice. He absolutely hated this episode of Smallville. Right. I wasn't crazy I'm about it. kicking your ass, Jeff Johns. I wasn't crazy about it, but I didn't hate it either. I also equally hated Legion. And it sounds like you had good reason Because there's too, nothing friend. worse than a really infinitely dumb movie that wants to prove it's smart. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciated the effort, even though I thought the film was lacking, of Daybreakers, okay. which I recommend people, if you like watching these world-building exercises, rent it out on Netflix when it comes out. Okay. And I heartily recommend the stop-motion animated film, The Fantastic Mr. Fox. For one, because of the great voice work done by George Clooney and mm-hmm. Meryl Streep and Bill Murray and Owen Wilson and a whole bunch of other people. Also, because it's stop-motion animation, people. If we don't support these movies, they're not going to get made. It's a wonderfully quirky movie with just phenomenally great yeah. action sequences as well as nice quiet moments between the characters. Mm-hmm. And for you science fiction fans who want to see an honest-to-God science fiction movie... That is not science punchy, fiction. punchy, run no, and in fancy dress. And it's not a horror movie disguise, such as the abominable Pandorum. Mm-hmm. Which, so you hated that more than I did. I hated it as much as you did. That was a movie that, that wanted so bad to be Event Horizon and, and couldn't. I think it wanted to be The Descent. The Descent, yeah, you mentioned that, The Descent. But they just decided, well, wait, maybe if we change the backgrounds a bit. Yeah, but Moon is best Stanley Kubrick movie 
never made by Stanley Kubrick. It has the style and tone. You could easily see this happening not too far away from the moon base where they found the monolith in 2001. The architecture, the design of the spacesuits, everything in it is very similar to 2001. I think if you see it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, of course, it's got that amazing performance by Sam Rockwell, who has to play multiple versions of himself and does it extraordinarily well. Highly recommend it. And you also liked, but you had some serious issues with Avatar. Yes. Avatar, go see it based on the fact it it represents a quantum leap in motion capture technology, whatever you want to call it. It's amazing to look at. I'm not going to deny that. I liked it, but don't fool yourself. There's nothing original about the story. And even in some levels, I found it kind of offensive. Although, I mean, to be fair, District 9, you and I talked about it. There are elements in there of alienation. True. Which is what it reminded me mostly of, alienation. So it's not like District 9 is all that original either. I think, though, that the way that Neil Blomkamp moved the deck chairs around... But you know what was original about District 9? And what raised the bar, at least for me? Yeah. The portrayal of the main character, who was such a Mm self-serving, selfish bastard, and he remained so all throughout the movie, (laughs) and he got more even so. He wasn't doing what he was doing for any known cause, like the guy in Avatar. He was doing it because some shit was happening to him. No, no, the guy from Avatar does the right thing because he wants some Navi tail. Yeah, and also... Do they actually have tails in that? I've never seen a clear picture. Yeah, they do have tails. Okay, literally then, he wants some Navi tails. But what they do with their hair is really freaky, though. Okay. Because it borders on bestiality, I'm not going to say anything more. One thing I will say about Sam Worthington, Mm -hmm. I've seen him now in Terminator Salvation, which I also didn't care for, but he was the best thing in it, Mm -hmm. and Sam Worthington was also the best thing. In Avatar, the okay. guy's a great actor. And Sam Raimi ever does decide to stop whatever he's doing. And yes, you Spider-Man fans are going to hate me for this. But yes, I'm glad he's leaving Spider-Man franchise because that means now maybe he'll make the Doc Savage movie. I really wish he wasn't doing Warcraft. Maybe he'll do the Doc Savage movie he's been promising mm-hmm. to make. And he could do worse than pick Sam Worthington. Because okay. I look at Sam Worthington and I think either him or Aaron Eckhart. I think either one yeah. of them could play a good Doc Savage. Sam Worthington, I really like him. Okay. I really like him. That's me. Now it's time for, I guess, the administrative. So take it away. Whether you love us, whether you hate us, whether you're a stupid fanboy who wants people to put on the damn costume and give you the damn movie, there are a number of ways to contact us. You can send us an email at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one or both of our message boards. You can join the Earth2.net message board by going out to the Earth2.net site, click on the forms on the left-hand side, and sign up. You can join the official Better in the Dark forums at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Follow us on our Facebook group, which is Better in the Dark. I have it up now. Yep. You can follow us on our individual Facebook profiles. You can follow us on our live journals. Live journals. Tom's is Space Monkey Mafia. And Derek's is Derek Ferguson's Notebook. If you are not sure of any of this, if you missed this, there's an easy way to find all this information in one easy-to-digest format. That's to go to the bitvsite.com. Our good friend Kelly has put together all the information you need, including information on how to order the latest book by Derek Ferguson in his Dylan series, Dylan and the Legend of the Golden Bell. Available now from Amazon.com or PopeWithPress.com. And the day after you hear this episode, since it's going out on February 28th, you'll also be able to order from PulpWorksPress.com and Amazon.com. The long-promised 
How the West Was Weird. It's finally here, folks. That's right, which features a story by Derek and a story by myself, as well as stories by our good friends Barry Reese, Barry Reese. Josh Reynolds. Who else? The devilishly handsome Josh Reynolds. <laughs> you better be paying us for this. <laughs> Bill Katepi. Oh, oh, oh man. Bill Katepi. I can't wait to read that Now, story. I know a lot of you out there saying, well, who the hell is Bill Katepi? And one day, we're going to sit down, we're going to explain why we call Bill Katepi a great, great man. He is a great, great man. And lots of other fun stories. And, lest we forget... Yes? Kristen Bell. I like me some Kristen Bell. Okay. She is lovely. If you've been paying attention to the theme song, you know now <laughs> why we got... Our brand spanking new theme song by Kaylin Collins, Be Hype. He come off his badasses in this in this Oh, one. man, that thing had me dying. I, oh. I must have listened to that thing about ten times in a row. I, 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 you know what I love the best? The Godzilla sample. Okay. I love the fact that he's using the Godzilla, but I, I like the fact also we just come off as pure badasses. Kellen just sells us as being, we're coming to your house and we're kicking your ass. Which is as far from the truth as you could possibly get. <laughs> But I guess that's it for this. That's right. This the beginning of our fourth, fourth year. Fourth year. And I guess next time, we're going to get together next week to re-record the Obscure Movies episode. Yeah. And also, you, we're going to record the next Director's Court. Yeah, we're going to do another Director's Court. I'm um, looking at you, John Carpenter. John Carpenter. We're going to take on John Carpenter. And we got another bunch of really cool things we have solidly on the boards. We've already talked to our guests for our overview of our Star Trek in movies and film. You guys don't want to miss this. Yes, we finally was able to get Tom to do Star Trek episode. And we're going to have... So, as a matter of fact, we're going to do two Star Trek yeah, episodes. So we're going to do one that's going to cover the movies, and we're going to do one where we're going to discuss the television And our series. guest host... For the television episode is our good friend Eric Fromm, who manages the original Better in the Dark message board. Yep. And our guest for the movies episode will be the one, the only, the imestable... Again, I can never say that word. Imestable? The stupendous... The pretty good! <laughs> Mr. Michael David Sims. Who apparently we're going to have to put on the payroll as a co-host, if this keeps up. <laughs> Plus, of course, we'll have, finally... Your view on the Nightmare of on Elm Street series. Yes, that's going to be coming up pretty soon, folks. I'm all ready. I got the movies. All I'm waiting for is the nod, because we're going to do that episode in April, right? Yeah, we're going to record it in April, so the way I figure it is it'll be the first episode to come out in May, just in time for the remake. Okay. So you don't want to miss any of that. I'm also thinking about doing one on the Phantasm. Oh, yes, the Don Coscarelli the Don episode. Con, yeah, because we're going to do Don Coscarelli. Right. Know? I've got a list here, because you, you talked about this. After we're done recording, we're going to do a couple of minutes to put together our schedule for the next couple of months. Uh, some of the people we want to do episodes on, and we hope to get done this year, Fred Ward. We've been talking about doing Fred Ward for a while. Right. The one and only Larry Cohen, one of the godfathers of black exploitation. Fred Williamson, we promise you. Planet Fred. We'll go back to Planet Fred. James Woods. Mm-hmm. David Toohey. John Frankenheimer, who we mentioned, I think was the third episode about we want to do this. You're right. Samuel Jackson finally gets his own oh, episode. okay, yeah. About time, I'd say. Alan Rudolph, I just saw Choose Me the other day. Oh, I just watched I it. Yeah. This is going to be one of these episodes, I think, the Alan Rudolph episode where nobody on Altitude.net is going to care about it, but I hope a lot of people are going to listen to it. Yeah. Because this is one guy who deserves 
to be more famous than he really is. Oh, choose me. I, I just love that movie. But until that time, this has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Thomas DJ. And until you're wandering around on a moon by yourself, except for your clone and your robot, and you come across some stupid-ass kung fu angel who's fighting a vampire that's gone on Nosferatu, and they're all being overseen by this guy with a big gut who claims he's fucking Hawkman. Fuck you, Jeff Johns! Go see that movie! And this has been better written than that. <laughs> Good night and God bless. Then it gets me... See, now, if you tell Just me... Just put up on his chest, please, you, John. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is John from The Chronic Rift telling you what's coming up for the month of March. In honor of March Madness, we're going to go crazy and do five episodes of The Chronic Rift. Oh, well, actually, not so crazy. It is March. There are five Tuesdays this month, so we kind of have to do it if we're a weekly series. But they're going to be great. Pay attention. You got three spotlight episodes coming up. We got Dave Gilbert from Wadjet Eye Games, Mark Wade from Boom Studios, and we're going to do a special spotlight on podcasts we love. Plus, we've got a roundtable episode on fantasy and science fiction storytelling in video games with the one and only Billy Flynn of Geek Radio Daily. And in addition, we'll have the usual in-review episode with the Gang of Loonies. So stop on by at chronicrift.com Sign up for our forums and have some fun with us today. Boy, that didn't sound right. Maybe that's the madness setting in. Red, white, and blue. Loud and proud to be an American. Nice. Well, at least I'm proud of something other than myself. There was a hot girl in the comic shop and I didn't know what to do. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Gray of The Dark Hours, Mike Fisher of Streakin' Weekly, Casey and Colleen Criswell of Midnight Munster, Eric Frome, and of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark sometimes wants to be a literal honest-to-gosh, go out at night, drink blood, don't change your looks, don't die podcast, but then it'd have to form its own ass-kissing, comic-geek-speak-style cult. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. And why not leave us a review on iTunes? Hey, you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at bitdsite.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that if you're going to cuss with us, you better cuss and believe we'll cuss your cuss up. At midday, the world as you know it will end. Well, there isn't any time to waste that. Is there? That girl just caught in if the Hulk fought Spider-Man. Who would win?